Welcome to the Doodle Kisses podcast. This is Adina, and I'm doing kind of an impromptu podcast just based on things I've been thinking about lately and wanted to give you an update on Milo and how he's doing. He is 10 months as of the end of last month, and he is just doing fabulous. I am. I feel very lucky. We all are just constantly doting upon him um, while keeping, you know, appropriate <laughs> boundaries for puppies. But my kids practically every day thank me for getting Milo. So he's been a real gem. Um, he can be annoying just as most puppies can, but he sleeps great and is great. Um, he's doing wonderful in training despite so many mistakes that I make that <laughs> I feel frustrated often because I'm not doing it right. Um, so right now he can do a three-minute sit-stay with me around the corner of a building and a five-minute sit-stay with me around the corner of a building. He can hold a stand-stay while someone runs over his body briefly. Um, his healing is coming along. With all of these things, the biggest factor is moving both slow enough and fast enough in adding distractions in just the right way. That's been my challenge with every dog is doing that part correctly to match the dog. So anyway, <laughs> the one thing we've had trouble with, um, and I don't hear a lot about other people doing this in training, but it is part of what we're doing. Um, it's called walk away stays where the dog is back tied to something and with a longer leash and he's healed into a sit and then a down and then told to stay and then I walk away a progressive number of yards over the course of several days or a couple weeks starting with 20 yards and working up to 100 yards and we had gotten up to 60 and then things started falling apart and he would not um he would protest <laughs> me going any farther and then he would protest even shorter distances and and by protest I mean he would get up or whine and then get up out of his stay. So that's been a challenge and we've had to backtrack a little bit to solidify his stays and work more on out of sight stays. So we'll see, hopefully, hopefully we make progress. I'm sure we will with time. He is still a puppy and you never know what's, you know, bothering him about it. He, one day to another, <laughs> some distractions that seem just fine in one moment in a different situation are more exciting. Um, and that's the thing that as you train, you learn more about your dog and you learn more about dogs in general. So, um, for example, if we're working around a dog that is calm and is holding a stay of some kind, we can do a lot of good healing and stays ourselves. But what I think a lot of people don't realize is a dog is not a dog isn't a dog in every situation. So if that same dog is whining, that's going to be a bigger distraction. If that dog is walking around freely, that's going to be a bigger distraction. If that dog is playing ball or running or lunging after <laughs> Milo or getting in his face, obviously those are different levels of distraction. So yeah, all these little nuances are both fun and difficult and then fun again and I find that every few days I think wow we're doing amazing look at me I am such an awesome trainer and then a couple days later I'm totally humbled and realize how much I still have to learn um, but we're plugging away we work five to six days a week 
for quite a bit for each training session. We go to parks and duck ponds and Home Depot and sometimes quieter places to polish some things without distractions. And sometimes we go to multiple locations in one day, which isn't ideal, but sometimes I need like a certain area for something isn't ideal in that it's time consuming. It's not a problem. It's just a lot. So in the meantime, poor Boca isn't getting as many walks because there's only 24 hours in a day, but (laughs) she still gets to, she still gets some walks and playtime and all the rest. Anyway, I can be really long-winded, so I'm going to try to get to what I wanted to talk about today, which is some aspects of training that I think are really important that get missed. And I wanted to share something. I may have shared it on Doodle Kisses in the past. And I am told through (laughs) the chain of rumor mill um, that this is a real email that a groomer got. But whether it's fake for comedic effect or it's real, um, I think some points still stand that I want to talk about. And with the disclaimer, I'm not a professional trainer. I'm, I screw up all the time, but I'm learning more and more. And I think there's some things that just aren't talked about enough when it comes to training. And I want to talk about them and present a different perspective. And those of you who are open to that, great. If you're totally, you know, against what I have to say, that's okay too. It's a big world and there's room for a lot of different ways of looking at things. And so whenever, I guess, a perspective, a certain perspective is heavily emphasized um, in the dog world and and I don't think it's representative or completely accurate or maybe there's another side that needs to get talked about, I really like to bring out the other side because I think it's helpful. Okay, so anyway, Some groomer somewhere got this email, and we'll just go with it. It said, hello, my name is Susan X, and I am looking for a groomer for my dog who can groom him in the non-confrontational manner I believe is best for him. Dooley, this is the woman's dog, is an 18-month-old burn now doodle. And in parentheses, she writes, if you are unfamiliar with the more rare doodle breeds, he has a Bernese mountain dog, chow, standard poodle end of parentheses. And this would be his first haircut as I have not found a groomer willing to work within the parameters I believe in. He currently weighs 89 pounds and his hair is approximately seven to eight inches long on the longer areas. And I would like to remove one to two inches all over. While I'm sure any groomer could easily handle the haircut, I'm having difficulty finding a groomer willing to wait for him to consent to each part of the grooming. He will consent by maintaining eye contact with you while you are working, and if he looks away, he is withdrawing his consent and you will need to stop until he grants it again. I do not believe in forcing him to do anything he is psychologically uncomfortable with, and furthermore, I do not believe any dog should... Uh, Let's see should be restrained in any way, including leashed into a tub or a grooming platform or forced into a cage. I believe these things are forcing him to conform to human unrealistic expectations of pets. Since I understand not everyone is as fluent in his language as I am, I would prefer it if I stayed and supervised his grooming to make sure you don't miss anything he is telling you. 
Dooley will need a bath, blow dried, brush out, parentheses, he might have a few small tangles, but they will easily brush out, and a full standard doodle haircut. However, my schedule is very busy, so the appointment can only take a maximum of two hours. Based on the reviews I have read online, I do believe you are the perfect groomer for Dooley. Please advise me as to when the best time to bring him in would be blah, blah, blah. There are so many things wrong with this woman's expectations that it, it would be a whole podcast to touch on everyone. But the thing that stands out to me is this idea of extreme consent from a dog. And while this is way out there in the land of, you know, extremes, I think it reflects an attitude lately that I've seen whereby we, it is seemingly recommended to treat dogs as if they were wild tigers or whales, where you need to (laughs) create this big buffer and really, really be careful with their boundaries for the sake of everyone's safety. And I think it misses the point where you are in a relationship with this dog and need to, to some degree, be the dog's handler, handle the dog, and manager, and kind of boss to a degree. And I know that in the going thing is positive only treat positive only training and doing everything really slow to make sure the dog approves and enjoys the thing. Um, But here's the other perspective. We create dogs by going to breeders and encouraging breeding and um, having shelters and rescues. Like there, we have as many dogs in the world because of us. We have to, at some point, decide that we are in charge. And that doesn't mean that we are these horrible, mean dictators. It doesn't mean that we have to be dominating. Um, It doesn't mean that we have to be cruel or not care at all about the dog's experience, right? These are sort of fallacies that get thrown out, that either you're completely gentle and like make sure the dog loves every single second of its existence and every second of what it does, or you are cruel and unjust and you don't care about the dog's experience and it's only all about you. And both of those are ridiculous extremes. I care about my dog's experience in the world and I want it to be able to be a dog to assert to many degrees. At the same time, I brought these dogs into a human life where they have to get along in a household, where they go to a veterinarian that has to deal with the dog and handle it and do things to it, where they go to a groomer, um, where they might interact with humans of various ages and sizes and abilities. And so it is my responsibility to get this dog ready for this world. And sometimes just like people, dogs have to learn things to do things they don't love and accept them, even if it's not their favorite thing. And so this idea of extreme consent, while it sounds so extreme in this email, isn't, sometimes doesn't feel that far off. So I know 
when I got Milo, I was really determined to do well as far as keeping his nails trimmed at home. And, and I did a lot of like treats and try to, you know, like make it positive and all this stuff. And while I wouldn't say that I did it perfectly because I think I could have worked even harder and been more patient and all of this stuff, the fact is at some point a dog's nails need to be trimmed. And if it's not going toward the dog just willingly handing you their paw (laughs) fast enough, you're going to end up with a dog whose nails are atrocious and getting in the way and causing problems for himself and others. So at some point, dogs need to learn that sometimes they have to give you their paw and you're going to hold it and you're going to do things for their own benefit. And they might not see the benefit, but it needs to get done. And so as much as I worked hard on that to try to make it positive and with this idealized wish, like, oh, one day I'm going to give treats in just the right way and I'm going to make it so positive that he's going to be like looking forward to it. And I think some people can get there, but sometimes you just have to do a dog's nails. Sometimes dogs might not love baths, but they might roll in something or be stinky or pee on their front legs and you got to get them into a bath even if they're resistant. And that doesn't mean that you have to be cruel um, in the process, but Learning to accept handling is one of the first things that a puppy needs to learn. And I see in many doodle groups and poodle groups, but mostly doodle groups, people asking like, oh, my puppy is four months old. When should I first take it to the groomer? And my first thought is, oh my goodness, it's almost too late. (laughs) It's never too late, of course, but grooming should happen with the breeder. The breeder should have given puppies baths and um taught it some res- positive responses to the sounds of clippers and trimmed around its eyes and clipped around its booty and done a lot of you know exposed it to the blow dryer because if you have a doodle that doesn't shed it's gonna need to experience the blow dryer and the sooner the better the sooner they're used to this is part of life the better it's gonna be and you can try to go slow and take three or four weeks to acclimate a dog to the blow dryer. And that's fine if you have the time, but at some point the dog's gonna have to be blown dry and you can make that comfortable, but also compulsory. And the dog is gonna be okay. It's not gonna be traumatized. So one of the things that's not talked about um, enough, and I think breeders could could do this job and teach owners, um, and I don't, I've never been to puppy class, so I can't say, but I'm not sure puppy classes do a lot of this in general, but handling, that's just not talked to. How do you handle a puppy and get it used to being handled? Not used to necessarily handling and treats, but just like this is part of life. Sometimes I'm going to have to hold your head still, and sometimes I'm going to have to pick up your paw and put it down, and I have to be in charge of this. It can't be your decision. Sometimes you're going to need to be, you know, palpated all over to make sure everything's okay. Your mouth is going to need to be open. Your ears are going to need to be poked into and op- and looked into. And cotton balls might have to swirl around in there. And I might have to put eardrops in. And I might need to put eardrops in your eyes. And I might have to get a burr out of your paw. And these are all parts of um, animal husbandry and dog management right? Like handling the body is so important. And it can't just be like 
this brief little touch while you're petting the dog, they have to learn to to be patient with it. And that only comes from doing it. And I'm not going to teach you how. I'm not going to, I don't want you to take this as instructional, like this is what you need to do. I'm not here to get you into a physical battle with your dog. There are ways to learn about this. And if you're interested, you can Google, um, you can email me and I can send you some videos from some people that do a good job. Um, But yeah, this is important. Not everything is going to be 100% consent. And obviously, if your dog has issues with being touched because it's never been made to accept it, you might need to go through training to learn how or retrain your dog, hire a trainer, go to a class, do something like that. But it's so, so important. Um, And that's, that's regarding handling. But I think with, and again, this is my opinion, and I know that there might be people listening, and I've had people, guests on the show who would differ with this, and that's okay. I'm not saying this as like a standalone person who has made this up. There are lots of trainers who feel this way and who I've learned from. But when it comes to training, um, I feel like the positive only movement, which again is very a strong philosophy. So if somebody believes that all dogs should only be trained in ways that are 100% positive all the time and nothing ever negative should dog should never experience anything remotely uncomfortable in training, um, then you're not, this is not going to be helpful to you. If you're on the fence, consider another perspective. I think in life, sometimes you have to learn to do things because they need to be done. Um, And a trained dog, in my opinion, and again, with the disclaimer, I haven't reached this level (laughs) yet with any of my dogs, Um, partly because I kind of quit. I quit early um, and I just sort of maintained, you know, low level basics. And that's okay. You don't, you know, whatever. Not everyone, some dogs are just easy and you can manage them. Um, But in my opinion, a trained dog is a dog who can respond to commands. And yes, I prefer commands rather than cues because I think that some things have to be done for safety. A trained dog is a dog that can respond to commands reliably, meaning you can count on it um, under most circumstances. So obviously there's going to be dogs that are so wired in certain ways that you wouldn't put them in a chicken coop and like leave them there on a sit stay for half an hour, right? Like you wouldn't put them in a place in a chicken coop. (laughs) Um, You know, there's certain things that you just have to know your dog and know that in this environment, it's just never going to be a possibility. But for average everyday situations, that is a trained dog. You can call that dog off of most things with a recall and they will show up and sit in front of you and wait. You can tell a dog to stay and they will not move until you release them. Um, You can take them to the vet and put them in a stand. And right now with COVID, probably can't go into the vet. But if you could, (laughs) you put them in a stand and a stay and that dog would stand there and be examined. All of these things you could do under most normal circumstances. You can heal your dog past other dogs. You can heal your dog in crowded situations. You can heal your dog on a walk. 
or for parts of a walk and know that that dog is going to walk in heel position and it's not going to go lunging after anything because it's committed to the task. To me, that is a trained dog, a dog committed to the tasks of working with you. What I see, and please hold that disclaimer in your mind that I haven't gotten there, and I don't mean to preach in the sense of like, well, I, you know, do all these things amazingly. Um, I think we can hold a standard in our mind and work to it, even if we never get quite there, because maybe our skills are lacking, like mine, or because life is crazy, you know, as long as your dog is safe, wherever you aspire to is fine. But I think we need to define trained dog. And I think the positive only movement has changed that definition to be really, really murky and basically not be defined. Um, And that bothers me. (laughs) So sometimes a dog has to do something that it doesn't feel like because of the relationship and because it has a good work ethic. And, and maybe that is not a an idea that you agree should be there, you know, work ethic. Maybe that doesn't fit in with your idea of dog ownership. Um, I think that it has a lot of promise. <laughs> I really like that idea and I think that it can work. And so what I see a lot um, when I look at websites and not everywhere, and I don't want to paint with too broad of a brush, but when I look at training um, facilities, you know, places you might go to train your dog or go to, go to attend classes, um, very few have a standard. So come to our class or series of classes, and at the very end, your dog will be solid in X, Y, and Z. So that first there's puppy class, then there's like beginners, and then like, then leash manners and then you know maybe like intermediate and advanced and then finally cgc at the end and the cgc isn't even solid obedience it's more like yeah this dog's not gonna be crazy in public and he'll follow a few commands relatively um and i don't want to denigrate that because i think the cgc is a great thing for the average pet owner um to aim for but very few classes nowadays or trainers actually help people get to solid obedience and because you don't see that it starts to disappear from like the cultural mindset that that's a possibility right when everything offered is like is called manners or you know help your dog not to jump on people or a class on leash a class on how to walk on leash and a class on these um a class on recall, right? Like there are these isolated behaviors that you work on outside of the overarching theme of working toward a solidly trained dog as a concept, as a whole thing, right? A solidly trained dog is going to behave differently overall. A solidly trained dog is gonna make better choices even when you're not giving it a command. Overall, they're going to be calmer. They're going to have an idea um, and of what is expected of them that's outside of um, a treat bag and like a trick. And this idea that I'm proposing, I think, really can be accomplished. But 
it's not an idea that's prevalent anymore, right? Like when you when you participate in doodle forums or dog forums, what you'll often see is someone with like a five or six month old dog um, and who says, gosh, my dog is so big now. He pulls so hard on leash and, you know, tries to run after cars. I'm, you know, I'm on the edge of being pulled down. Um, and people will give tips and techniques on how to um, encourage good leash manners, or they'll give suggestions for a nose harness or a body harness. These are all potentially effective at managing, right? Like a Band-Aid at making walks easier. But I want to propose that rather than having the goal of making your walks easier with a harness or a halty or a special tool, the goal of training your dog in overall obedience is a much better goal because it will cover all of that. So you train your dog to heal, stay, stand, stay, down, stay, recall. All of these things as part of a whole plan and goal and you get them to a solid level, the rest is going to almost completely fall into place. They're not going to be, after all that work, they're not going to be dogs that are tempted to lunge after cars <laughs> because they've had so much work and healing um, and so much practice in doing what's right according to what you've trained them that those old behaviors start to fall away. Now, training is not like programming a computer, right? Dogs are not robots. So it's not like, well, I went to three or four classes and I've trained my dog and look, he's still doing all these naughty things. Well, you've got to use that training. That's the whole point of having a heal command is so you can tell your dog to heal when you see a dog walking toward you up ahead with their owner and that dog is pulling like a madman. If your dog can heal, you can turn around, you can cross the street and go a different way. You can pass by with a greater distance between the two of you and that dog won't be able to reach you, hopefully, if the owner holds on tight. So the whole point of obedience is so you can use it. If the dog, like Milo, for instance, right now, he I've never had a dog like this. All of my Labradoodles, though they were smart enough, um, never really watched TV. And Milo gets really into the TV. And if there's an animal, like even a well-drawn cartoon animal, he gets really amped up. So I can't just let him loose right now. He's not done enough to behave um, when we're watching anything with animals. And so I will put him in um, multiple down stays nearby so that he can practice not jumping up and getting all wound up. And then when I'm tired of managing his down stays, I might put him in his crate. But the point is, like, that's something you can use. You can put him in a down stay. You can call him to you. You can do all these things. Um, if someone comes over and rings the doorbell and you have a visitor, you can heal your dog to the door, put him in a sit-stay, invite the person in, you know, do give various commands and know that your dog's going to follow it. And of course, that's not going to be the case right at the beginning. Of course, you know, it takes some time to get to that point. But ultimately, that's the whole point of obedience. And when you get far enough in it to where your dog is solid enough, especially if you can even get off leash, um, 
there comes a point where you don't have to tell the dog constantly what to do. They start to develop a pattern of behavior. You still need to practice those things so that the dog doesn't drift back into its instincts, its natural instincts as a dog, um, to behave in certain ways. But it's not, you know, the constant management that you would need to do with an untrained dog. And so instead of asking, like, how do I fix this problem? How do I get my dog to stop doing this? How do I get my dog to start doing that? Um, Think of like, where is a training class? Google, right? Ask your veterinarian, use Google. Where are some training classes that really focus on solid obedience? And not only will you get that, but you'll get all the rest. And I think that's just a concept that isn't talked about enough these days. We think of training as like going to a cafeteria or a buffet and and being like, oh, I'll have a little bit of a, a sit-stay and I'll have a little bit of this trick and I want a little bit of loose leash walking and kind of creating your own little, these are the only things I need. I don't need my dog, you know, to be able to do this or that or the other. And that's just not how, how it works to have a solidly trained dog. You can't kind of pick and choose in cafeteria style your training. I mean, you can, and there's some dogs that are just easy. And even if they don't listen to anything, they don't do much. And that's fine, right? Like your dog, your expectations, your life, as long as the dog is safe and you are safe, you know, what What does it matter? Um, but doodles are high energy and they are from two working breeds. And quite often these types of dogs, they need something to do. And having being trained is a service you're giving to your dog. By training your dog, you are educating it for life among humans. You are doing a service for your veterinarian who doesn't have to wrestle with your dog. You're doing a service for the daycare providers so that your dog is easy to handle. You are doing a service to those around you because you know your dog is trustworthy. So it's not just about like being easy to live with, but about helping your dog to be a good citizen in the world that it lives in. And that's good for your dog. It's also good for society, right? The better behaved dogs are in public, the less um, restrictions you'll be facing, right? The restrictions that are out there where you can't bring your dog to certain places or certain parks are off limits to dogs, etc. These happen because of the badly behaved dogs. They don't happen because of people who train their dogs. So I'm rambling again, <laughs> and I want to get back to my point. And my point is, I really want to encourage everyone who has any kind of annoying behavior in their dog or wants to stop something or get their dog to be more well-behaved in a certain area to consider the big picture of working toward a fully trained dog. Rather than just thinking like, my dog is perfect and sweet, but he growls at people. So now we have to work at growling. Or my dog is the best and so sweet and cuddly and it's so intuitive and lays with me in bed when I'm sick and is so sad when I'm gone, but has horrible separation anxiety. So we've got to work on separation anxiety. Or maybe your dog is the sweetest thing in the world and wouldn't hurt a fly, but resource guards. And so we've got to work on resource guarding. These are all symptoms of a bigger thing. And if you can start to look at the big picture and work toward that, all these other little things often fall away. Now, someone might be saying, Adina, I trained my dog. I went to puppy classes and beginners, and 
you know, at home, anytime I tell my dog to sit and stay and do all these things, he can do a hundred tricks. He's tra- I already trained him. Can your dog do a hundred tricks at the park and sit and stay? Will your dog heal at the park? Um, under what circumstances? What if a squirrel walks by? Is your dog still going to heal or is he going to pull you down, you know, a hundred yards? Um, if a horse walks by, is he going to be able to heal? You know, can your dog do the things that you trained it to do outside of the home environment? If not, that dog learns some knowledge, but he's not trained, right? It's like your dog learned the ABCs, but he wasn't taught to spell. <laughs> um, so think of training as getting that full K through 12 education, right? If you stop at sixth grade, there's going to be some limitations in what you can do. If you go all the way through your high school education, even college, you're going to, you know, be able to have more opportunities. So it's the same with training. Just because a dog learned as a puppy, and doodles are smart, right? Poodle mixes are smart. So they, at eight and nine, ten weeks, they're going to learn things so quickly. You're going to be like, wow, my dog is a genius. I've had it for three days and it can sit and it comes to its name and it rolls over and it does all these things. Whew, I, I'm good. I got a good dog and now I've trained it and yay. Just wait till that dog turns five, six, seven months and suddenly the training goes out the window because now they've gotten their little teenage brain and you can call it testing boundaries. You can call it discovering that they have a will of their own. <laughs> you can call it whatever. But at that point, unless that dog has learned a work ethic and responsibility to the command, those commands are just suggestions. And suggestions aren't very helpful if um, you're walking down the street and a squirrel walks by. Plenty of people have been dragged down by their doodle dogs um, and, you know, ripped open their chin or gotten black eyes or, you know, hurt their ankle because the dog saw something that it thought was more important than sticking by your side. And that's not the dog being rude. It's that dog's objective is their own objective. A lot of people like to talk about dogs as wanting nothing but love and to be like attached to their humans. Okay, well, throw some prey (laughs) into that equation and you'll see how much that's their one priority. Dogs have a lot of drives and when certain drives kick in, if they aren't already trained to consider their work for you as number one, they're going to kick into that drive, right? There's prey drive for chasing small critters and catching things. There's, um, social drive for visiting with people and being friendly. Um, But it becomes a problematic social drive when you are not the driver, your social relationship isn't the driver. And there's defense, you know, fear, being scared of something and not wanting to walk or pulling away or wanting to fight. So all of those things at any given time can be triggered if the dog is not well-trained. And of course, there are some drives that are so powerful that you don't want to put your dog in certain situations, right? Because um, all the training in the world might not keep it from fighting back if a stray comes to fight it. So um, what I'm saying is that, you know, think of the, again, back, think of the big picture. Don't consider a dog trained because he's learned what words mean. Consider that dog trained when you will 
bet a lot of money that that your dog will listen under most common circumstances that you find yourself in. And it is possible to get a dog trained to a high level. And even if you never get there, gosh, you're going to have so much better results than most people. So I encourage you to consider training in the broader picture. Um, Don't get stuck on fixing problems before you've trained the dog overall. Um, Consider that sometimes a dog has to do things that it doesn't feel like doing. And I encourage you to find a trainer who is a balanced trainer. And I know that's now a bad word, um, but a good balanced trainer will get you really far. And a dog that is a happy worker at the end of that and solidly obedient is not a dog that's stressed out and scared. Um, But that's kind of the picture that is painted when it comes to positive only training. That somehow if you make a dog do anything, if anything is uncomfortable and pleasant to any degree, that dog is going to be stressed out and is going to be working under fear and they're only listening because it's afraid of you. No, that is not the case. I can give you 100 case studies where that's not the case. I can show you my dogs who, you know, when I'm working with Milo and Boca is loose, she wants to join us. (laughs) I'm telling him to heal and she's like, I can do it too. Look, she's not afraid of anything. Um, And if you're training or if a trainer is training in a way where the dog is cowering and fearful, that's not training anyway. So be careful about the kind of things you believe um, and look at the results that the trainer has. So um, I almost forgot about this. When you're looking for a trainer, and this isn't always possible in all areas of the country, you know, when you're looking for a trainer, see if you can find an obedience club, a trainer that works with an obedience club, or a trainer that has put multiple obedience titles on their own dogs. And I think this is critical because an obedience title, the way to get an obedience title is hard. So the the initial obedience title, the first one that they've they've added some lower level ones, but the one that's been around the longest is called companion dog. And in order to do this, the dog has to heal correctly on and off leash in a figure eight as well. Um, They have to be able to stand while a stranger comes and examines them. And it's not a real exam. It's like a quick pat down. Um, They have to be able to recall off leash. They need to be able to hold a sit stay for a certain length of time. Um, And a down stay, I think that's still part of it. Um, And they have to do this in a ring with other people and dogs outside of that ring and noises and temperatures and they have to be able to pass they have to get a passing score on three separate occasions for two different judges so three total but two of those judges have to be different I believe that's it if I'm not exactly right you get the picture so it's not just a one-time test they have to do this three times to be able to qualify to get a companion dog title and this is on and off leash. So that's a pretty big deal. The obedience ring, some people don't think of it as that big of a deal, like it's just a performance. But really, like if a dog isn't solid, they're not going to do well there. Um, so that's the first level of what I consider a solidly trained dog. Then there's companion dog excellence. And then there's 
um, which I think is open, open obedience. And then there's like utility and those are even more amazing. But somebody who's at least put a companion dog CD title on their dog has shown through meeting an objective standard. It's not just someone's opinion. It's not like, oh, wow, look at, he's so nicely behaved. He can actually perform and do these things in a distracting environment. And it is a measurable standard that this trainer can reach and has reached with their own dogs. If a trainer hasn't been able to do that, I wonder, how, what is their, you know, how are they training? Why, why hasn't that been important to them? Um, Those are pretty basic things, basic obedience. I don't care how many tricks a dog can do if they can't do those basics. um, It's not as meaningful because in an emergency, I don't care if my dog can roll over or give a high five. I want to be sure that they can hold a sit stay and not run into traffic and they can recall away from something dangerous. Um, And then I don't have to worry if my dog gets loose by some crazy event that I won't be able to get it back. So think of those, think of the basics and find a trainer who has gotten a title, obedience titles on their dog or multiple dogs and has helped others do that too. Because you don't have to care about competing to care about having solid obedience. Okay, that's all I've got to say about that. love to hear your thoughts. If you want, if you have a different perspective and want to talk to me about it, I'm totally cool with that. You can email me at admin at doodlekisses.com.